I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. You know why? It's hurricane season. The new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami. Surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami. Surge, surge. Kane's cartel coming through. Tell me what these other teams gonna do. Orange or green, on your screen, hit with a full head of steam. Come to your side of town. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your host and beat writer for The Athletic. Uh, as usual, we've brought on the same characters that we have uh, the last several times, including Kelvin Harris, three-time national champion, starting center uh, at the University of Miami back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And, of course, my producer, Mike Zimmerman, who does such a phenomenal job putting this uh, thing together. It's uh, around 12 o'clock here, Wednesday, March uh, 3rd, uh, and... Spring football has started down in Coral Gables, started on Monday. We've gone through two practices in pajamas, as Mike, uh, as Manny Diaz likes to say, uh, guys in, in shorts and helmets and, you know, everybody was down there. Everybody, and their mother was down there, uh, shooting video and, you know, looking at where guys were lining up in terms of, uh, depth chart and who's getting this snap. And, uh, Kelvin, I'm going to start with you. Um, when, when reporters and media report from practice, being a former player at the University of Miami, when we try to make too much of depth chart, what do players and coaches have to say when, when those reports come out? I don't think they'll say anything. They're probably not paying attention to them. They're probably not, I mean, they're not paying any attention. So the fans, realistically, are, 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 are uh, the only ones paying attention to any of it. I, I just wondered if there was ever a time where there were reports about depth charts and, you know, the way guys are lining up and what they're doing sort of angered a coach or got players pissed off because they're like, you know, reading. I guess it's, it was a different era, too, because there was no Twitter. There was no social media. All the kids nowadays do pay attention to it. So I guess it's 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 tough to, to ask you that question, considering that you lived in a different era. Well, we read the newspapers, but like I said, nobody really cared. I, I do remember. My freshman year, Brett um, Perriman had been hurt. And the week he was supposed to be coming back, he did an interview. And, and he told the people, yeah, uh, Brian Blaze just been holding my spot. So uh, I'm going to need to get that back this week. And he can go sit down. And so Coach Johnson seen it and got mad. And I think he, he didn't start Brett or he held Brett out an extra week. But he, he had a talking to him because, I mean, you know, that's not the type of talk you kind of want your, you know, players to say, hey, that dude really shouldn't be starting because he ain't better than me. But, and on top of that, he was secretly trying to get Brett the red shirt, but that didn't happen. So, but no, for the most part, uh, I think when Brian Forte and Geno were battling for quarterback, um... There was no really, you know, nobody, you know, they wrote about the controversy. And I think maybe when Ryan Collins and Frank Costa were battling out for quarterback, there were some, I guess they put the stats in the paper in the spring. And I know me and Ryan have talked about it. He said they got his stats wrong. Um, And he felt like they were making it, you know, a lot of people actually felt like they, they were trying to give Frank the job in the papers. Screw, but, screw Ryan over, huh? 
but for the most for the most part uh no one really cares i mean it's just this what's mm-hmm. this the second day of practice they're not even in pads yet <laughs> i mean right yeah they will be thursday and friday and uh you know and, and in the end look man it's a long time before the season and and as journalists we're trying to create insight uh, excitement right we want to be able to write about things that that are meaningful and uh, give fans a reason to uh, to sign up for the athletic for only four dollars a month. There's my plug, um, and and you know everybody's looking to to you know shoot video now. Everybody's out there with their camera phones. I got a I got a little camera, a Sony camera, and I'm shooting clips and posting clips. And I guess I want to start the the show here w- with this topic. So I shot a video of Rhett Lashley, sort of. I don't know if you saw it, Kelvin, uh, or or if you saw it, Mike, but um, basically it. it I don't know if it went viral. Can I call it viral when it's got over like 70,000 views uh, online? Does that qualify as viral? Um, um, anyway, it's basically Rhett Lashley screaming at the quarterbacks and, you know, just hollering at them saying, hey, don't overthrow guys on go routes. We've been doing this since the seventh grade. By the way, it's 97,000 views now, which is pretty impressive. Um, and, and so he's screaming at them. You know, don't overthrow guys. We've been doing this since the seventh grade. And and Miami fans just absolutely ate it up. I mean, I had so many Hurricanes fans retweeting it. They were, you know, sharing it on Facebook. And um, and so, you know, it, it just kind of made me laugh a little bit because they forgot Dan Enos was the same exact guy. I mean, Dan Enos would scream at these guys in practice, too. And I remember writing about that on the first day of practice, that he was a very uh, loud coach. Um, but nonetheless, I think it brings up an interesting topic. Um, and to me, a bigger topic when it comes to this football team, which is the reason 2019 ended up becoming a failure, uh, Danny, Eno's relationship with the quarterbacks and with several players on offense really deteriorated and ultimately it doomed Miami season. And while this is the first day of spring practice and, and I'm shooting this video, right, Lashley screaming at guys, um, I think. The entire point of Manny Diaz hiring him uh, was to bring in a guy that just fit in personality-wise better with players. First of all, he's 15 years younger than Danny Enos was. And I think uh, when when you look at his demeanor and, and you listen to what some players said about him on Monday and Tuesday, they really like him a lot. They really like his personality. They like his offense. It feels like a better fit for the players. And so to me, that's really what this spring is all about. It's about getting Rhett Lashley acclimated, getting the players acclimated to his system, his tempo, etc. And I just thought it was a nice sort of like uh, little window into what Rhett Lashley is all about. He's still going to coach guys hard. He's still going to scream at them in practice. But in the end, it feels like right now at the very beginning, two months in, um, the players feel very differently about them. Mike Zimmerman, can you play that clip from Manny Diaz talking specifically about Rhett Lashley? Because I feel like he threw a little bit of shade at Danny Enos and kind of explained to people, gave them a window into a big reason why he's hired and why Danny Enos is not here. I think when you go through the hiring process and when you start vetting out candidates for the job that you have, um, Perhaps you start asking some different questions, you know, um, and talking with people who have worked with, with Rhett or, or people who have worked with Garen or, or with Rob or, or anybody else you bring to the program. Um, no different than when I remember sat here on December 18th and I talked about the, the, the mental attributes of, of that recruiting class that we brought in. Um, 
you know, and I, and I, I mentioned, you know, like-minded people coming together, you know, so um, it's not just about a series of plays or the spread or tempo that, that to me makes Rhett Lashley, for example, you know, who he is. Um, it's really who he is as, as, as a man. And I'm not trying to indict anyone else. I'm just talking about positively about the people that we have in here now um, that fit, kind of fit with our staff, the, the culture of our staff, um, and the type of people that we want to be, you know. So I, I, think, um, I think all those guys, just from, from doing my research and doing my homework, checked all those boxes and then getting them into our program, um, I think anyone, whether it's our players, whether it's people around the building, there's been a noticeable difference, you know, that, that their personalities really stand out in the way that you interact with them. All right, so I want to get your guys' reaction. Did I hit it on the head? Do you, do you, do you, let me start with you, Mike. What, when you heard that quote, does it now make sense to you even more why Rhett Lashley is here and Danny Nose is gone? Yeah, I mean, but he's also just reiterating everything we've kind of talked about. Um, you know, once Enos was let go, we, we said this is the kind of offensive coordinator, whether it was Lashley or not, it, this is the type of offensive coordinator they, they needed. And and I think that he manages reiterating everything that, that that we've been talking about the past couple of months. And I think that it's, I mean, for the first couple of days of spring practice, it seems like it's, it's made a big improvement. I mean, we'll we'll see, and they haven't even been in pads yet. But I guess culture-wise, and and I guess you know, energy, it's certainly a major upgrade. I guess from from what we saw under Enos. And again, it's only been a couple of days of practice. They're not even in pads, so it's so hard to judge now. But you know, I I guess we're not going to see whether or not this was the right hire until games start playing. Right. I mean, there's, there's the X's and O's part of it, but I think the culture part of it is what, is what I was getting at. And, and Kelvin, I'm going to, I'm going to dish it to you because you, I don't know how many different coordinators did you, I mean, obviously Dennis was there for the bulk of your career, but I wonder how many different coordinators or position coaches you had. You, you had a pretty consistent uh, time at Miami, right. In terms of guys. And, and I guess I, I wonder, um, you know, when you hear those comments, what your thoughts are uh, and what you've heard maybe from, from current players that you talk to about Lashley. Well, yeah, UM only had, we only had two offensive coordinators in my time there, you know, um, Gary Stevens under Coach Johnson and Bob Berkowski uh, under uh, Coach Erickson. And then the year that I graduated, Coach Berkowski left to go to the NFL. Uh, and then this when you brought in Rich Olson to finish out his career. But me personally, I had many coordinators and line coaches in the eight, nine years that I played professionally in all the different leagues. Matter of fact, there was one year I had three different line coaches and coordinators because I played in three wow. different leagues and three different offenses. And, you know, you, you got to be, you know, you eventually learn how to become, you know, adjustable. I mean, it, it came pretty easy to me, but I know it takes some players a while. But I'll say this. Um, I think, for, let me start by saying this. I think Lashley is the right hire. Um, but I'll say this. If Jalen Hurts would have come to Miami, Dan Enos would still be our coordinator. Hmm. And I'll say this. If De'Eric King was here last year, Dan Enos would still be 
our offensive coordinator. Excellent point. Um, yeah. It's a situation, it just was a bad timing for both. Because what really makes me distressed is, is that I don't think the kids at the skill positions understand how the next level works and what, you know, everybody is talking about a up-tempo offense. I get that. Well, we started out like that last year, but the talent made him change what he wanted to do. And I think something I saw over the weekend really made me pause for a second. I was watching Steve Mariucci and Jalen Hurts on that little show he does when he's got guys on the board, the quarterbacks. And, you know, I talk, I think I talked to you about this. Mm-hmm. Mariucci is interviewing Jalen, and then he puts a play up on the board. And I look at the play, and I'm listening to the verbiage, and I say to myself, self, I've heard this before. I mean, I have heard it before because I've pretty much played in every offense. But that particular play, the route scheme, was very similar to something that ding, ding, ding. We ran at Miami last year. And, you know, two things came from that little situation. One, I think Jalen Hurts is going to be excellent in the NFL because he's been exposed to a pro offense. And two, I'm concerned about how our skill players over the next couple of years make the adjustment to the NFL because they were exposed to a pro offense and it went the other way. And I get Manny... You know, I think maybe he thought, maybe he thinks he didn't think it through. I just think that it was just bad timing. And, you know, because, yeah, Enos could have adjusted when he realized that our kids wasn't picking up the offense. But I'm going to say this again, folks. Those kids are going to see that offense again. Because if you want to play for the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to have to learn that same exact offense with the same exact terminology and the same exact route scheme. So I hope that the kids learn something from last year, and I hope that they take to this offense better than they took to the last one. Well, it's funny. Um, you know, we had interviews, the usual thing, where we get four guys after practice, four players, uh, just like we do in the regular season. So we had that on Monday, and we had that on Tuesday, and D. Wiggins – uh, yesterday talked a little bit about just the simplification of the offense and how it's great. You don't have to think anymore. You know, there's not this all this motion and stuff that you got to worry about, which is which is what I think a lot of them were getting confused over. Um, and and so, you know, we'll see in the end uh, whether or not this works. Obviously, it's a long time before uh, Miami opens the season against Temple. But either way, I think from 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 a multifaceted uh, look at this whole thing, number one, there had to be a change, I think, just just because of Dan Enos's personality and the fact that it wasn't it wasn't a fit. And I think that's what Manny and he said in that quote that we just played for you. It's it's more than just the speed, the tempo, the play calling. It's a personality fit. And I think you know one thing you can tell from day one is Red Lash is still going to coach these guys hard, but we'll see uh, how how much they like them and how much. Um, you know, this sort of continues in a positive direction because we know we've talked about this millennials, man, they are temperamental in the moment things go bad, at least at this university, we saw, we saw how things changed last year. The moment things started to go bad, it just sort of uh, snowballed and it turned into a terrible season. 
uh, in part because of guys not knowing what to do on offense and not running the right routes, et cetera, and uh, not good blocking and you know a lot of different reasons why the offense failed. But in the end, I think at the root of it was a football team that tuned out Danny Enos and stopped listening to that guy, and you, and you just can't have that. And so hopefully this Rhett Lashley relationship um, starts well and ends well for however long he's here. Miami definitely needs uh, it to be a good one. Um, all right, we can move on to another subject. Um, there, you know, again, we had a few different audio clips that I wanted to play for you today um, from the first couple of days of spring practice. And the next one I want to go to um, is about the receiver position because, to me, that's the one area on this team. I know everybody looks at the offensive line. I know, Mike, you're a big proponent of, hey, can we get the offensive line better? I agree. That has to improve. But I feel like wide receiver is very intriguing because – you lose K.J. Osborne, you lose Jeff Thomas, and now you all of a sudden you got Mike Harley, uh, Mark Pope, and D. Wiggins who all need to grow up and really become leaders. Um, but you also got all these freshmen that came in that are here for spring ball, and that's a big storyline is, you know, which one of these guys is going to step up. You know, Keyshawn Smith, uh, DeZalem Worsham, um, you got Xavier Restrepo, uh, even Michael Redding uh, who has a wrist injury and isn't uh, – healthy enough to participate he's still going through drills mental drills they're not throwing the ball he's got a big uh cast on his left hand and he's got a big blue jersey that he's wearing through practices but he's still going through mental reps and anyway everybody's been talking about the receivers they've compared xavier restrepo to braxton barrios the freshman receiver and then amari carter had this really interesting quote which kind of opened my eyes a little bit um to the fact that even the guys on defense look at this freshman class and they're impressed. Can we play that clip? I wanted to ask you about the, the receivers. I know obviously you're at safety, but every now and then when you, when you get them in the secondary and they're going deep, mm-hmm. the new guys, what, what, do you, what do you take away from some of the new guys, the freshmen that are here? Uh, they're, really, they're really skilled. Uh, a lot of them are real, really fast. Uh, you know, it's not much of a fall off from, you know, the guys that just got here and the guys that's been here, like Mike Harley. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been in here working and uh, they... They, they want to play football. You know, they want to be here. Uh, they, when, when they're running their plays, they run them full speed. Um, they're high point in the ball. So you could tell that they've been, you know, getting prepared. Mm-hmm. When I'm in here, they're in here. So uh, that's good for them as young guys, too. I'm sorry, I'm sorry on that topic. We've already heard comparisons from Xavier to Barrios. Do you see any similarities mm-hmm. there? Yeah, Barrios. he's one of those guys that's always in here working. Uh, you know, 9 o'clock comes sometimes, when, you know, me or Zach come in here, you know, they're working out in here. Uh, he's real quick, real shifty, probably one of the fastest guys on the team already. Uh, he's explosive. Uh, so just how he plays, you know, catching the ball, looking the ball in, and, you know, those extra yards after he catches the ball, you know, I see the, you know, resemblance. So I know you were excited, uh, Kelvin, about these these freshman receivers. And initially you weren't necessarily a fan of Xavier Restrepo, but I know he's growing on you. I've seen him two days now. He is the last guy walking off the field uh, in the indoor practice facility, working with Tate Martell, working with Nikosi Perry, catching passes. It feels like these freshman receivers are going to be good. When you hear all that, what uh, what are you thinking? Well, the first thing is we got to keep him from working with Tate Martell. That's going to mess up his rhythm. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I'm not surprised that he's – First one in, last one out. Because, you know, from all the reports I got, that's how he was in high school. And from the way he 
you know, went about recruiting other players, you can tell that that's, you know, he's got that bulldog mentality, that chip on his shoulder. And it's not far-fetched that he could be an actual leader on this team as a freshman if he gets enough playing time. And I think he will get some quality playing time at some point before the season's over, and he'll contribute to some victories. But if you look at the physical makeup of the uh, four guys, um, Michael Redding is very similar to D. Wiggins. But, you know, you saw it yourself. I remember you talked to me about it. His, uh, you know, when you interviewed him, his mindset about the wide receiver position is not of a true freshman. He understands some, some you know, uh, smaller things, you know, d detailed technical things about the position. And yep. Keyshawn Smith is, um, you know, he's the blazer. Um the, you know, the X factor that we don't quite know, you know, he just kind of showed up and you're like, yo, this kid's good. And then Restrepo and then the Warzum kid is, is just smooth. He's a, he's a Z slot receiver. And so, you know, he can, he'll be a versatile move around guy. I mean, we pretty much checked all the boxes and all types of receivers out of this crew. And I think they're going to help. And what's, more, they're going to help recruit Ja'Cory Brooks and uh, Romello Brinson and Jacoby George and other receivers to come here next year. And it, you know, it starts to be a, a domino effect. But the good thing about it is, is that all of our DBs and all of our wide receivers will get work when they go up against each other because the talent is on an equal level. 9-0 is in shorts or pajamas, right, as, as Manny Diaz calls it. But Derek King had a ridiculously good throw down the field uh, to D. Wiggins uh, for an 80-yard touchdown. D. Wiggins beat Christian Williams yesterday in coverage down the sideline. And, and as soon as it was over, Derek King came racing over. I mean, he was so damn fast moving down the field. I've never seen a quarterback move that fast. And he was down the field celebrating with him in the end zone. And it looked, it was one of those moments, you know, obviously, again, in pajamas. But it, it was one of those moments that you're like, man, like, De'Aaron King is good, but it looks good that he has a little bit of chemistry already with D. Wiggins. And and Wiggins talked about that after practice, that, you know, he's been spending a lot of time with them. I think every Tuesday and Thursday after Matt drills, he would go out there and just play catch with De'Aaron. And, and so at least it looks to me so far that, you know, D. Wiggins is really bought in, and he knows. I mean, look, that's the most talented receiver they've got. I mean, 6'3", 200 pounds. He's the fastest guy out there. I think he runs like 22 miles an hour or whatever. He was, he was clocked out last year. That's what Al Blades had told us anyway. Um, it seems like he's the most physically gifted guy, and it's and it's encouraging to me that early on um, these guys are putting in all the extra work and, and, and all the extra passion that you want to see out of your receivers um, and it's a, it's a promising sign because that is a position of concern coming into camp without question. All right, let's move on uh, to the next topic. Uh, Rhett Lashley, we got a chance to talk to him yesterday, asked him a bunch of different questions. Obviously, everybody wants to talk about the tempo and the speed, and there's going to be a benefit for Miami's defense in, in playing that way. We'll get to that later. But um, he did. I did ask him a question about the offensive line, and you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, Kelvin. Um, you know, coaches in the past, I remember Art Kehoe when he was here, other offensive line coaches, even last year with Butch Berry, um, they like experimenting in the springtime, moving guys around to different positions so that um, when injuries do happen, 
Um, they can they can quickly move a guy there, and it doesn't feel weird for that guy. He can play from that side, etc. Not knowing Rhett Lashley, not really knowing Garen Justice, uh, I wanted to know what their philosophy is going into uh, spring camp because, to me, obviously the offensive line is a huge concern. You, you, that's an area you want to see improvement. But to me, the way you get improvement is by building chemistry and having guys in the same spots, you know, and continuing to work on that chemistry, especially when you have young guys. Miami had a, didn't, you know, they basically had a six man rotation last year on that offensive line. Guys didn't move around a whole lot. But with a new coordinator, new system, they're still, you know, when you're running the spread, you're running to the line of scrimmage and, and, and snapping the ball quickly. Uh, to me, there is an adjustment and, and they probably need to spend as much time together. So I asked Rhett Lashley yesterday, um, what his philosophy was, and this is what he had to say. I'm interested in your philosophy when it comes to offensive line and you know developing. Is this is this period to sort of experiment with moving guys around, or do you want them to be kind of stuck in a spot to, yeah. to learn it? You know, Coach Justice and I, I think agree on a lot of things. Is that as soon as you know where guys fit best, you like to keep them there. I mean, it's like anything else. If you're playing left guard one day, left tackle one day, center, right guard. I mean. You know, flipping sides. It's hard to get really good at something. It's the same thing at receiver and every other position. So the first few days is kind of a feeling out. we got to learn these guys. The hope is we've had two days now in helmets. We're going to have two days in pads before the break. Hopefully, we don't have all the information then, but we have enough to have a, a good educated guess that there's where we need to put these guys and try to leave them there the last 11 days because now you can see who's going to really improve, who can get things, who can get better each practice. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you'd like your left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle to stay there if no injuries mm-hmm. and not kind of have to play musical chairs if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Um, I think that's like everything else. allows them to react, to play faster, play with confidence, and hopefully be more physical. As an offensive lineman, I'm going to defer to you uh, first, uh, Kelvin. Uh, when you hear that, do you like that philosophy? Do you think they need to spend more time in the spring experimenting with guys at different spots? Or do you think for this particular unit, knowing what Miami went through with youth and everything, that the right approach is to play these guys at the same spot as much as possible? Well, it's kind of a vague, but it's kind of a vague answer he gave you because it's true. Every offensive coordinator and O-line coach wants to start the same exact starting five in the same positions. But here's the problem with that. And Butch Berry, you know, I think I talked about this last year with you. Butch Berry was in the pros where on game day, you might have seven linemen um, active. Mm -hmm. Maybe eight if you're lucky. Most teams do seven. So if you have a situation like what happened to us against Duke where two linemen go down, all that everybody's in the same position stuff is out the window. And I do agree you want from left to right tackle everybody to be in the same position. But Zion Nelson has to learn how to play right tackle. Um, John Campbell is ahead of the game over really everyone, him and Nirvana, are, because they've played mm-hmm. pretty much every position on the line. John Campbell just hadn't played center. Um Ja'Kai Clark needs to learn how to play in a left-handed stance because last year when we played against Duke, he'd never played in a left-handed stance, and he had to go to left guard in the middle of the game, and that's a culture shock trying to, you know, figure out. Now, you don't necessarily go crazy with it 
per se, but springtime is a chance where you move guys around. And I guess yesterday he kind of moved guys around because they really they have an idea of who they want to start where, but they still have a situation at right tackle they got to figure out because in a perfect world, DJ Scaife goes back into uh, guard and either Campbell or Rivers is your right tackle. Um, thing about it is, you know, you got to be prepared for um, injuries because that 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 Duke game is something that no O line you ever want to see happen, but you got to be prepared for it. So, and I get what he's trying to say. You know, look, we need to get the repetitions at the position we're gonna play against Temple the first week, and I agree for the most part. Once you get those etched in stone, when you get to fall camp, you know, you really don't want to move around as much. But you got to have some some position versatility. There's got to be a Swiss Army Knife guy. Your backups have to be Swiss Army Knives. They got to be multi-positional. Uh, and even some of your starters. So you may not practice them a lot. You know, you want to keep them together. But there has to be some practices where you go into your uh, contingency plans. Because if you don't go into your contingency plans and you get injuries like we did against Duke, you get the results that we got against Duke. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I mean, uh, but I think it was interesting that it seems like the, the messing around and moving guys around is probably going to end after Friday because he – he said it, you know, we, we want to have those 11 practices where guys are, are, are sort of hopefully in the same spot. Um, so this this might be the only week where you see the musical chairs just be just for informational purposes so that people know where guys were on Tuesday when we got to watch all the practice. Um, you know, obviously, Navon Donaldson's out with his knee injury, recovering from surgery and all that. Um, John Campbell was at uh, left tackle. He had Usman Treor. Uh, at left guard, Corey Gaynor, your starting center from last year in the same spot. You had DJ Scaife at right guard, which is where they obviously want to play him, as you said. And then they had Zion Nelson at right tackle. So they were they were playing those guys at those spots for that re for those reasons that you just mentioned. And then the second unit, you had uh, he who should not be named, number uh, 75, is it? Zelante Hillary uh, at left tackle. Freshman uh, Jalen Rivers, who everybody's always obviously all excited about because he's an All-American. They had him at left guard. Uh, Ja'Kai Clark, who was your starting right guard last year, he was taking – uh, he was doing snaps at center, which obviously that's his natural position. You had redshirt sophomore Cleveland Reed, who was allowed to come back uh, to the team after entering the portal. He was at right guard. And then you had redshirt junior Kyle Leon Herbert, another guy whose name should not be uh, used, according to uh, my buddy here, Kelvin. Uh, he was at right tackle. Uh, the third team, you had Adam Elgamal, the redshirt freshman at left tackle. You had uh, sophomore walk-on Michael Scabelli at left guard. Reed, Cleveland Reed, moved from guard to center, so he was getting some snaps as third-team center. And then uh, redshirt sophomore walk-on Jared Griffith, he was at right guard. And then the freshman, the other freshman that Miami signed, they only got two signees in this last class on the offensive line, Chris Washington, who's kind of a project guy, he was at right tackle. So 13 scholarship players were rotating, and that's what they're going to have. I don't know that they're necessarily even going to go to the portal to get an offensive lineman because at this point it's hard to do. Um I want to ask you, uh, Mike, because you are obviously this was your number one concern coming into camp. Um, 
I, I think it feels like Jalen Rivers is going to eventually get a shot to be a part of this rotation. But if there ends up being no changes, meaning it's the same personnel, how confident are you that simply the coaching change and the scheme change going to a fast up-tempo style will be enough to make this offensive line better? Well, I I, I, th- I don't know whether or not it'll make the scheme will make the offensive line better. I think it'll help them because if in this type of offense, if you want to do quick step, you know, three-step drops, get the ball out quick, it's going to help your offensive line. So if that's the type of scheme that Lashley kind of wants to use, maybe to help ease in this, this offensive line and their inexperience, I, I think that would certainly help them. If this is the group going into the season, I'm sure be a little skeptical from what we saw last season. But you you would hope that an off season under their belt, uh, spring practice, getting into into summer camp, you you would I guess hope and expect them to to improve a little bit. But you know I I think the the whole issue with uh the conversation between you you want to have these guys consistent reps at certain positions rather than moving all around i think it's because of the lack of depth if you had enough depth to where you know you had a left tackle go down or, or a center go down you don't you wouldn't have to worry about shuffling people around you you would be okay with okay uh second string center going in or maybe move one player around here and there but i think the lack of depth is really hurting them and i think that's what's causing this conversation between do we want guys to get um as many reps as they can at a, at a single position or move them around yeah um donaldson when he comes back he'll be the starter at left guard is is what my guess and it's interesting that jalen rivers you know he's a guy who thinks he can be the left tackle on this team um from from talking to guys behind the scenes kelvin um and, and we'll finish the offensive line conversation with this um, what's the feeling about Jalen? What have you heard behind the scenes in terms of um, what they sort of look at him as after he's been on campus for a month? Because Manny Diaz shared a story during his press conference Monday saying how they, they do this, um, you know, when they're doing all these mat drills, uh, they, they do sort of a tug-of-war event between guys one-on-one, and that Jalen went out there and he showed the, the type of competitiveness that he needed to. Um, do you think Jalen Rivers, by the time the fall comes around, will be in that rotation? And where do you think ultimately they play him? Yeah, I think he will contribute this year. And the spot I think that he will contribute at is at right tackle. Okay. Um, Just because they're still, still looking think, for that guy. Yeah, I still think that Campbell or him needs to be the right tackle because if you could put – Nervon and Scaife inside together along with Corey Gaynor. That gives you a great inside nucleus. And you can control a ball game with two really good guards in the center. Your run game. Because you can always chip and help your tackles. And to Mike's point about the depth, he's correct. I mean, you know, Lashley kind of spoke in a perfect world situation. Well, we don't have mm-hmm. a perfect world. And, you know, God forbid one of those tackles goes down and you got to shift around. Well, we do have a safety valve, a, 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 a break glass if necessary type guy that you could put back out there at tackle in DJ Scaife, but you want to keep him inside. But Rivers and Campbell have to develop on the outside because we don't have a lot of tackle bodies. And I think you're going to like, we got a commitment from Michael McLaughlin. You're going to see us get more tackle bodies that's the difference between our o-line 
and what I see at LSU. Now, um, the scheme that Garen Justice uses for the tackles, especially the technique, has already made us better. The experience of last year and whatnot. And, and I get what you're saying, Mike, about the three-step, um, you know, trying to throw quick passes. But I'm going to go back to the Florida game. Dan Enos wanted to do the same thing. But when you're playing in the SEC and the ACC, the two things that you need to understand that make you alter your game plan is there's a gang of defensive tackles or defensive linemen, excuse me, period, and corners that can cover and play press. So that changes things because your receivers, they, they could get molested at the line of scrimmage. And as you saw against Florida, uh, there's some blitz-happy D coordinators out there that that can draw up blitzes that are unfundamentally sound that make you make changes. And you need you need eight linemen because if you got three or four guys that can play those tackle positions, if somebody falters, you can um you you you, you got somebody else to come in and and, and clean up, you know, and, and for injuries. So um, it'll be interesting. Thursday and Friday are going to be real interesting. And, and it'll be interesting to see the video. They let you guys, uh, how much of practice they let you guys see and the video Pro you guys Probably just 20 minutes. They're not going to let us watch the whole thing. So we, we will all be guessing and asking what the defensive, I mean, what the offensive line looked like. Well, here's your, here's your assignment for Thursday and Friday. I know you, you reporters love those, those, those so-called skilled people. But the real skilled people are the, or the horses, the the the, the O line and D line. So I'm giving you an assignment. I need you to go down there and get you and get in some kind of a way. Find a way to get uh get some uh, some O line and D line film. If you got to go put your I, hands I, on Cameron's neck and threaten him, <laughs> I need you to go down there. <laughs> well, I asked. I already spoke to Cam a couple of days ago. I said. <clears throat> we're getting the receivers. We're get, we're close enough to shoot photos and video of the receivers, but the offensive alignment and defense alignment, they're all the way on the other side of the field. And Miami doesn't allow us to walk around the field. When we go in, we got to stand next to the building. And so, you know, they got the big fields back there and, and Garen justice. They got the sled and everything else on the other side of the field. So it's one of those deals where if you're wondering why no reporters are, are tweeting out, you know, video and photos of offensive linemen and defensive linemen, it's because they're far, far away. But Cam told me that we are going to get a chance to look at them at some point. They'll let us move around at some point or, or move them closer to us so that uh, we can get a better look at them. So that's what I'm hoping for. By the way, Ryan Rodriguez, who is a three rivals three-star uh, offensive guard, a kid out of Miami, Columbus, I think he's, he's really a center. Um, he's going to be visiting campus tomorrow. Uh, Thursday with his high school teammate, Elijah Roberts, who's a Miami signee. Uh, and Miami's pushing real hard to get this kid. Uh, Ole Miss and Louisville uh, are the other two schools in the mix. But it looks like so far, at least in the 2021 class, that they've got the three guys that they want to bring in because right now, Navon is the only one who'll be leaving after this year. He's the senior. They got 13 scholarship guys. So if you do the math, they get Ryan Rodriguez, and they bring in Michael uh, McLaughlin, who they who they got a commitment from earlier this week, as you mentioned, and then Lawrence Seymour, who Seymour, the the uh, big baby, who's been committed to them for a long time. Uh, you got a guard, a center, and a tackle, 
and and you got 15 scholarship guys for the offensive line. So they'll finally be at full strength, which is what they want to be. They want 15 scholarship offensive linemen. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if they can get Rodriguez. I don't know. I'm talking to people uh, behind the scenes. Uh, they think that it's going to take longer than, than just his visit tomorrow. But keep an eye open. Maybe they end up getting Ryan Rodriguez to commit uh, since he'll be there with his high school teammate and, and probably have a lot of pressure. All right, let's move the conversation on to the defensive side of the ball where um, obviously the, this team is, has to replace uh, Shaq Cordham and Michael Pinckney. That's the big storyline on that side of the ball. And you got a lot of other returning guys. Uh, and including those uh, werewolves on uh, on the defensive line. But I talked to Greg Rousseau. I asked him about the leadership question because Manny Diaz went on the radio Monday with Joe Rose and talked about how he feels like even though they've lost Quarterman and Pinckney, it feels like to him there's more leadership on that side of the ball. And I think that's important because um, you you need more guys to sort of take ownership position by position. Um, it felt like last year, a lot of times, uh, those guys were turning around and looking at Pinckney and looking at Shaq to be those leaders. And when you had those defensive breakdowns in the secondary or the moments where the defense gave up a big play, it felt like there wasn't an alpha male out there around to get everybody in line. Uh, we saw it in the Virginia Tech game. Uh, we saw it at Florida when they gave up the big touchdown. Um, you know, you saw it at different points last year where the defense disappointed and gave up a big play. Um, but here's what Greg Rousseau had to say about uh, leadership and what they're doing on that side of the ball. No Shaq, no Pinkney, but uh, obviously you, you got uh, McLeod back. What's he like mm-hmm. being in the middle there? Oh, it's great. It's great. I'm going to miss Shaq and Pink. I love those guys. But like, but just like everything in sports, somebody got to always step up, you know? New leaders got to emerge. Uh, uh, backups got to emerge. People got to keep on getting better and keep on growing. So, and, and McLeod, he's also another great player. He's He knows what he's doing out there. High football IQ great person and i love playing with him behind me for sure coach dia said on the radio today that he feels like maybe there's more leadership now on the defense have other guys sort of stepped up been more vocal uh yeah i feel like it's more it's more like accountability just throughout the whole entire defense you know it it was there last year but just everybody holding each other accountable not having to put the load on one person's back to to just to uh, just take everything and be and be the guy who always has to speak up. Everybody just knowing like, man, I gotta do I gotta do my job. You gotta do your job. Just having that accountability and that trust. The main thing is trust. That's like that's like the glue for our wall. Basically, it's all about trust. When you hear that, Kelvin, uh, being a, a football player, being in those locker rooms, to, to hear a guy say it's all about trust, and then to hear that different guys in the position groups are taking on leadership. Your thoughts are? Well, it's kind of you know expected because last year there were so many guys starting for the first time. I mean, they might've played, but when you're there out there on the field full time, it's a different situation. And there were situations that they didn't see. They didn't never seen before. Well, now they're returning. The entire secondary is returning pretty much. Um, Russo returning. John Ford, Nesta, they were in the battle. Even even Sam Brooks got a got a taste, got some blood in his mouth. So now they know what it takes. They don't have to guess. They're not going to be caught off guard by too much. So now it's a situation of we got our feet wet last year. Now we got to accelerate and go to the next level. And so there is no excuse of I've never seen this before or, you know, you know, I, I was hesitant because you you've seen it all. And I think they know as a defense they can be special. 
if they bond together and I, that's the exciting part about it and then I'm just I'm so excited to see what Roche and Jalen Phillips are going to give us and those young defensive tackles and those young linebackers I mean it all fits it's like it's all coming together but you know like we all say it doesn't count until September the 5th that's when we'll know if all this is is just if it's talk or if it's real Mike, uh, you obviously expressed in the last podcast when we previewed spring football that you know offensive line was was your biggest concern uh, on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, I don't know if I got your input, but um, what are you? What are sort of the storylines you're going to be following here on this in, in terms of Miami defense that you're most interested in here? I mean, I I think that you you could easily say linebacker just because of Pigney and Shaq gone but I think there's enough depth and enough young talent there where it won't be a concern I'm really concerned about the cornerback position outside of Al Blades Jr. I'm not really confident in a lot of these other guys I mean with with Bandy's gone now he he left early to go to the draft do you really trust DJ Ivy right now do you trust uh Gilbert Frierson if he you know moves to corner I I really don't I, I'm I'm nervous, especially with the way college football is going now, where it's quickly turning to a spread offensive passing game. You need a lot, what three, four reliable corners at least, and and I, and I don't think Miami has that. And I, I guess that was a big thing last year, but because the front seven was so good, and you had Shaq and Pinckney there, it, it kind of went unnoticed at times. But I, I'm I'm very worried about the cornerback position heading into next year. And I'm hoping I'm praying they develop some cornerback depth and it won't be an issue. Well, I can tell you from watching again, these guys are in pajamas. I'm always going to say that because I don't want fans to, to think I'm giving them way too much credit. But from what I saw the other day, uh, the last two days of, of spring ball, it feels like uh, one Al blades. He's, he's not even running with the ones they had him running with the twos. Uh, it, it feels like Christian Williams and Takori Couch and DJ Ivy all have more confidence. They're they're more physical in these battles with the receivers, um, and they're trying to step in and get their hands on more balls. Now, again, it's two days of observations, um, but you're right. I think it, it certainly is a position that, in terms of okay, do you have guys that have proven themselves? You don't have enough. Christian Williams. Really didn't play a whole lot beyond special teams last year. Corey Couch came in as a backup at slot corner and he had sort of mixed results. You know, I mean, there were times where he gave up a, a catch or two and then times where he was he did a good job wrapping up and making the tackle. But you're right. There is no alpha super dog in that room. And Al Blades, you know, I think he is, to me, probably the more talented of, of, of the guys that they have there. Um, but again, he's got to prove to be consistent and, and be a number one guy who can cover number one receivers consistently and slow them down. And they had Bandy doing that last year. They had Bandy sort of handling that number one receiver every single week. And, and you're right. And Manny, I'll, I'll, I'll say this too. That will put more pressure on, on the safeties as well. Bubba Bolden, uh, Gervin Hall, if, if Amari Carter, you know, sees some time back there rather than in the box, it's going to put pressure on them too, to, uh, to to handle pass coverage rather than right. worrying about their own assignments as well. So I, I think that 
that it would have an effect on the entire secondary. Yeah. Gilbert Frierson uh, ran with the first team at striker. He did fine. And then Keontra Smith is the new backup striker. Keontra had an interception yesterday, picked off Tate Martell. Um, he, to me, looks much more natural playing in the box as the striker uh, than anybody else I've seen play that position. I don't even think Romeo Finley looked as comfortable as Keontra Smith did. That's what Keontra Smith did in high school at Shaman. And I went and watched him play a few times. They basically had him playing striker in high school um, because they didn't have enough linebackers. And so he would get in the box, tackle guys, hit guys. To me, I think that might have been the smartest move that, that the defensive staff made was moving him into the box, making him a striker. And I would not be surprised if by the time the season rolls around, Maybe they do move Gilbert Frierson to another spot because it looks to me like Keontra Smith is, is more of a natural fit at that spot. Um, all right, guys, it, we, we've been on for a while now. We've got to wrap this this podcast up. Kelvin, any final thoughts uh, before we go? Yeah, two things. One, we're going to sign more than three offensive linemen. They're going to sign anywhere from five to six because you 15 is not enough. You need 18 to 20 offensive linemen. Okay. Um, and there's there's gonna be some guys that are gonna go after gonna go after some more tackle bodies. Mike, relax. We're good at corner. I know you don't think we are, but we are. Uh, <laughs> Ivy is probably the more naturally gifted physically, as far as size and speed. Um, Romp has taken him under his wing, and he he's mentoring him. Al Blades. We'll start, and I think he will be the number one corner. Actually, I don't even know if they'll put one guy on a number one because those two guys, when you look at their physical attributes compared to other corners, we're, they're both bigger than all of the LSU corners. Um, and Derek Stingley is a grown man, even though he's a true freshman. Blades played good enough last year. He just had some bad luck. Some guys made some really great catches. What he needs to do, and I think, you know, even Ivy, is that they need to just work on their speed. They got to get faster. They need to, you know, they're not 4-4, four, 4-3 four, 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 guys. At least Al isn't, but they're, they're going to play a lot better this year. And don't sleep on Corey Couch because he's got the ball skills of a 6-3 guy. And he's not big. He needs to get bigger. But he's a ball hawk. Christian Williams is prototype size. We got prototype size corners now. Um, Christian Williams just needs to get experience. I'm interested to see what they do with Jalen Harrell because I think he can play corner. I'm not worried about the corners because one of the things that helps the corners is the pass rush. Got a lot of pass rush. If everybody just does their job, we're going to be a really special defense. And I'm excited about the young linebackers because I just, you know, once everybody gets back, there's a lot of talent in that room. And I think Avery Huff and Sam Brooks, you know, you were talking about Keontra Smith. At some point, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see Sam Brooks and Avery Huff on the field at the same time along with Zach McLeod because I think Avery Huff can play that striker position too. He's fast. He's physical. And when he was on his 7-on-7 team, there was times he played corner. So 
he's a perfect candidate for that Sam Stryker star, whatever you want to call it. Line. I call it the Smitty backer because he's mm -hmm. the closest thing we have to Darren Smith. But I'm excited about the whole team. I just think, you know, let it play out. This next two days is going to be interesting. I'm going to need you to go down there and get some Lyman film, however you got to do it. <laughs> I got you, know. you. By the way, before before we get to Mike's uh, final thought, um, Al Blades yesterday, one thing that he said was, because they're playing in this faster up-tempo system, right, against it every single day in practice, they're working a lot more on hand signaling communication and being able to not look at someone and still communicate with them because Miami is going to that up-tempo style and snapping the ball quickly. So in the end, you know, you talk about how this is going to help the offense. It's also going to help Miami's defense and their secondary get much better at getting aligned quicker and, and being prepared for other up-tempo up offenses who play this style. And there's more teams adopting this style, obviously, in college football. So I think it's going to be good for them uh, when they line up and, and, and face them in practice week to week that, you know, they're, they're having to communicate faster and get their minds straight faster. Because if not, you're going to have those uh, mistakes. And so you pra practicing it every single day in the spring is certainly going to help them. Mike, um, your final thoughts before we go. Um, I, I guess it'll be my final thought will be the quarterback position. I mean, I know we didn't really touch on it much. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we mentioned Eric King a lot, but I'm hoping to see because King will only be here a season. I'm hoping to see the quarterbacks behind him develop as well, because that's going to be important for the longevity of this program and, and the success because, you know, we, we mentioned it when Derek King decided to come to Miami. It's, it's only a bandaid. It's only a one-year thing. He's not going to be here two, three, four years. So the guys behind him also need to step up and develop so that once Derek King goes, we've got somebody else to come in and continue to run the offense at the same level. I'm with you, and I can tell you this, Tyler Van Dyke and Peyton Matoka. Um, I, I, I may have been a guy sleeping on Peyton Matoka before, um, but after seeing him these first two days, I really think that this is a guy who could help your football team uh, down the road, uh, whether or not he starts a couple games or he's just a backup, he looks like a solid quarterback. And and obviously Tyler Van Dyke, who I liked from before with the arm strength and everything else, he even showed a little mobility on day number two. They had having those 11-on-11 uh, 11 11 drills where he escaped the pocket and he ran, and he kind of looks like Vinny Testaverde to me. I told uh, I told Kelvin that yesterday, and he kind of his ears kind of perked up uh, just because he's very long and gangly like, like Vinny sort of was. Um, that's what he kind of reminds me of. But we'll see. We'll see what uh, those quarterbacks develop into. For now, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Wide Right Podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure to read all of our stories on theathletic.com. Follow Kelvin at Ebony Lifestyles on Twitter. Uh, Mike Zimmerman's Twitter account is Mike C. Zim. And if you want to send a question to the podcast, you can always do that either emailing me at mnavarro at theathletic.com or you can hit the podcast Twitter account, which is Wide Right Pod. Look it up on Twitter and make sure you follow us. All right, that wraps it up for this episode. We'll be back next week to talk more uh, spring football, more Hurricanes football, and whatever else you want to talk about. It's on me, DJ Dallas with the shakes. Better press on them brakes. Osborne on that fade. Cut through the defense like a blade. Got the best tied in tandem. And we proving it. O-line, young and mean. Ready to bust you in your teeth. Triple threat tattoo real. Got your defense on their heels. Come to the hard rock.